Joab, David's uh, commanding general, says, this is after he's been asked to count everybody, the Lord will multiply his people a hundred times. Are not all of them your servants, my Lord the king? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should there be guilt upon Israel? But the word of the king overruled Joab. So Joab knows that this is not a good idea. Not only is it not a good idea, but he's the commanding general of the whole army. And what did David tell him to go do? Count every, really every soldier. And how did they count them in those days? They went to each village, lined everybody up over there, and then on the, on the, on the village main street, then Joab would stand with his sword out, and all the, all the soldiers would walk under his sword. And then he would count every, them as they would pass under. So what a, what a thing to go have to do. That, no, it, it is a sin and it is pride. Absolutely, yeah. David, this was dumb. Um, Joab is right. If, if, David, if you're not happy with how many people you have, God will multiply the nation. God would later say things to David, like with Bathsheba. God said, if you wanted more wives, I'd have given them to you. If you want anything, I'll give it to you. Why take this man's wife? Though I'll, I'll give you whatever you want to. I'll, and, and, and don't... Take stuff that isn't yours. Um, and, uh, but the word of the king overruled Joab. Joab went, oh, let me get that going. Um, so, Joab, can you imagine counting that many people, though, from, from, from north to all of Israel? Minnesota. I have to go to every town in Minnesota and count them all, personally. So Joab went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. I'll bet he sighed too. <sighs> All right, king. So he reported the total number of the people to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men. What a round number that is. Um, who could draw the sword, including 470,000 from Judah who could draw the sword. So he comes in and reports this number, makes it a big round number, and he gets all the way out to more than a million. Um, uh, he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the census. Didn't even include two of the tribes because the king's directive was offensive to Joab. This action was also evil in the eyes of God. So he struck Israel. So God is mad, and God, but God was already mad. But now he, he strikes Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Please forgive the guilt of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. And the Lord said to Gad, David's seer. What, what's a seer? See it again? No, not a seer. A seer is a kind of a prophet. He sees visions. Roi. He, normally a prophet is called a navi, a go-between. Um... God gives me a message and I deliver it to the people. But a seer saw visions and would deliver them. So occasionally we get this um, in the story of Samuel um, where they used to call these guys seers rather than prophets in the old days. Um, and so anyway, Gad was David's seer. By the way, in Hebrew, there is no relationship at all between the word God and the word Gad. Is that, you get that? Because the word God in Hebrew is pronounced Elohim. And the word Gad in Hebrew is pronounced Gad. So they're just different, completely different words. But I have heard people 
speculate that, ooh, maybe they're, they're just about the same word, and no, they're not. You know, it's, I, it, it's like I once um, was told uh, a cautionary story about the old King James Version. Do you remember in the old King James Version of the Bible? Um, several of the words in any verse, practically, were in, in italics. You'd be reading along, and then it would be italicized, and you're like, what is this for? And it would often be a little word like went or something or is or something. And, and uh, there is a story of a pastor um, uh, who decided to preach a whole series for a year where he would emphasize those italicized words in, in the text, in the King James Version. Um, and he had forgotten to read the introduction to the translation. Because in the King James, the italicized words are the words that aren't in the original text but are supplied by the translator. So he was preaching on none of the words of the Bible, actually, in, ironically, in, in, that, in, that, in that whole year's sermon series. Like, oh. Well, he got told by his circuit pastor. Um, by the way, uh, for, just for your perusal, up on the top of the steps out here, um, we have a display case with the different models of the churches and so forth. And on top of it, um, I have uh, an old Luther's German Bible, um, our altar version of the King James Version. And uh, one of the early, it's, it's our altar version of the NIV from a couple years ago. And I put in the dates when they were used here at St. Paul's. To, so you can see how long that German was the official language how long the King James Version was official, and since how long has the NIV been official. Um, and, uh, uh, but I thought people might like to see that, um, so that's up there at the top of the stairway. But let's continue here. So Gad um, is told, go tell David, uh, this is what the Lord has said, I'm offering you three choices. Choose one of them for yourself, and I will impose it on you. <sighs> Three choices. So uh, Gad does this. He comes to David. And I'm going to try to illustrate the three choices with lines here. So Gad came to David and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Choose one of these for yourself. But David has to choose. Either three years of famine or three months of devastation in which you are overwhelmed by the sword of your enemies or three days of of the sword of the Lord bringing plague on the land, which the angel of the Lord, or with the angel of the Lord, causing destruction throughout all the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I should take back to the one who sent me with this directive. So three years, three months, or three days. Ordinary plague, you know, I mean famine, right? Or losing a war, or God himself. What would a typical person probably choose which one? Why three days? Because it's shortest. Yeah. I think the typical person would pick the three days. David does pick the three days, but not because it's the shortest. So there's some, we learn something about David in this choice, which is what God was looking for. Um, and, uh, but fascinating that, that this is what David says. So David says to Gad, this puts me in a difficult position. <laughs> When I was a kid, I'd say, well, duh. Yeah, difficult position. But uh, so, yes, please let me fall into the hand of the Lord because his compassion is very great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. 
So, why, uh, well, can a, can, a, can a famine be compassionate? No, famine just kills. Um, uh, and, a, and, a, and a war, is a war compassionate? No, no, but God is compassionate. So David says, don't put me in the hands of nature or the hands of my enemies. Put me into the hands of God, even if it's for punishment. I would rather be in God's hands than anywhere else. That's the statement of a man of faith, isn't it? The Lord caused a plague, or um, the term can be deadly disease also, whatever it was. A plague in Israel, 70,000 men from Israel fell. God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. The Lord saw the destruction, let me get my sheet out, and he relented from this devastation. He said to the destroying angel, enough, hold back your hand. Can you think of another time when God told an angel, stop? Well, I was thinking of when Abraham was about to, to slaughter Isaac, and the angel says, stop. Also, and I hadn't thought of it, but somebody this morning said, uh, when uh, Jesus Stopped Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane with a sword. Enough. You know, put your sword away. So uh, that kind of thing. So hold back your hand. Um, the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. In Chronicles, he's called Arauna, also in the Psalms. So is his name Ornan or Arauna? Ah, them foreigners, who can pronounce their names? That's the, yeah, that's the impression I get from scripture. He's a Jebusite, what difference does it make? You know, so our author just, somebody, some people call him Arauna, some people call him Ornan, you know, whatever. So anyway, this, these, this, this name, Ornan, whether it's Ornan or Arauna, it's the same guy. Anyway, that the angel was standing there, and there's a delightful picture of the angel, except I'm pretty sure Jerusalem in uh, 1000 BC did not look like Wittenberg of 1580 uh, with the nice uh, tall steeples and roofs built for snowfall and so forth. And um, uh, Look at those shacks. It's like they get pretty deep snow there in the Mount of Olives or whatever, you know, but uh, that's Albrecht or, or, or his son. But you see what the angel's holding? What kind of a sword? Flaming sword. We're not told it's a flaming sword here. There is a flaming sword in the Bible in the hand of an angel. That's the Garden of Eden, though, but not. But anyway, it's you know, a little bit of art. art, art artists. Yeah, let them do what they're going to do. So. By the way, where was this? This is um, a, a pretty good picture of, uh, actually, it's a black and white photograph, so yeah, pretty good picture of, uh, of, the, of the hill um, of uh, of uh, David's palace and so forth in Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, from overhead, looks as if you've, you're holding your hand. No, like, uh, like my dad used to have mittens that had a trigger finger. You know, all mitten, but then you could have your... And that's kind of what Jerusalem looks like if your hand... Your thumb is over here, your, your, your index finger. Can you, can you splay that without hurting too much? Then the other three. It's not quite Spock hands. It's more like this, right? Um, and that's Jerusalem from overhead. Over here is the hill of the Mount of Olives. And the valley in between, in the webbing of my thumb, is the, uh, is the Kidron Valley. Then this is the old city of David. This up here, my wrist, is uh, the Mount Moriah, Mount Zion, where the threshing floor was. Um, the valley in between my index finger and my middle finger 
that, that, that valley is the Tiropean Valley or the Valley of the Cheesemakers. And this is the new hill where Herod built a lot of stuff. And below my index finger is a deep, deep gorge. Do you see it on the bottom? There's a little stairway down there. Um, you can't see it named here on the, on the map, but that's the, uh, the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom, or Gehenna. That was the junkyard of Jerusalem. They threw their trash down there, and it was often on fire. So if you can imagine, kind of a permanent tire fire going on in Jerusalem. Um, that's why it became a picture of hell. Because there's, it's, can you imagine if the, if the wind turned south? It blew all that stink up into the city. Ugh. But, uh, but that's what was burning. And by the way, they weren't burning tires or their paper trash. What are they burning down there? Yeah, I think including human and animal filth, probably. It's kind of a poop fire going on down there, among other things. So, Oh, and not just, not just that, but the bodies of criminals. Very likely, the men who were crucified with Jesus were disposed of there in that valley. Uh, so, David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord, by, and I, mean, I mean buried, not burned. Okay, not as if they're trash, but buried there in the, in the refuse and so forth. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between the earth and the heavens with his sword drawn in his hand and stretched out over Jerusalem. David and the elders who were clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces. Why sackcloth? It's a symbol of what? Repentant. What is sackcloth? Kind of burlap, isn't it? It's like the cheapest cord. If I didn't own a loom, but I had a couple of spools of binder twine, I might be able to weave myself an outfit, and it would be scratchy, right? It would be awful. That's that's kind of sackcloth. It's really the, it's really camel hair turned. In, in, inside out so that the yucky scratchy hairy part is what is touching me why constant irritant because that's what my sins should be um, so David said to God look I am the one who said to count the people I am the one who has sinned and acted very wickedly he's going backwards from one sin to the previous sin whatever it was but these sheep what have they done, O Lord, my God? Please let your hand be on me and on the house of my father, but not a plague on your people. So David knows that condemning an individual also reflects on his father. So David uh, doesn't want to involve his son and his sons in this, but says, be it on me and my father. So just let this be on me and not them. Later, when God became furious with David's son Solomon, who did God tear the kingdom away from? Solomon or his son? His son Rehoboam. Why? Because if God had tear, torn the kingdom away from Solomon, it would have reflected badly on David, son to father. So instead, God waited for Solomon to die and then tore it away from Rehoboam, reflecting on the father and not on the grandfather. Um, so this is a picture from, uh, I think, um, what's his name? Doré, Gustave Doré, uh, 19th century uh, uh, artist. This is, a, if you see it up close, you'll see that David there almost looks like Christ. 
he's the one with his hands up and he's got his crown and so forth and everybody's wearing their burlap kind of and they're on some kind of a pedestal that looks to me a little bit like a, a mausoleum slab or something like that like there's just death all around but a beautiful rendering of this prayer the angel of the lord told gad to tell david to go and set up an altar to the lord on the threshing floor of ornan the jebusite david went up according to the directive of gad which he had spoken in the name of the lord and while ornan was threshing wheat he turned and saw the angel ornan and his four sons hid themselves so they see the angel and they know what it is and they're terrified how would we put it in the king james they were sore afraid yeah uh, david approached ornan ornan looked up saw david he went out from the threshing floor and bowed to david with his face to the ground here comes the king david said to ornan give me the side of the threshing floor i will build an altar to the lord on it you will give it to me for full price and the plague will be averted from the people does david really ask for the threshing floor now he kind of says you'll give it to me doesn't he but then he says full price so um but the plague will be averted if you give it to me for its full price ornan said to david take it for yourself my lord the king may do what is good in his eyes look here i have given the oxen for burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood the wheat for the grain offering i have given everything does this remind you of somebody Oh, no, I was thinking of, of uh, when Abraham is negotiating for the cave of Machpelah for Sarah to get buried. He asks the Hittites, can I have a little piece of land? And the Hittite says, take it. What, what is this? What's, what's this between friends? Just take it. And Abraham says, no, I have to pay full price. And the guy's like, hey, it's worth this, but just take it. And Abraham weighs out the shekels and gives him the money because he wants to own it. Um, and by the way, where did the Hittites live? It's lost to history. But where's the cave of Machpelah? Oh, well, partly, but in Abraham's time, they lived all over the place. But we know where the cave of Machpelah is because it's still there. <laughs> so, um, you know, Abraham bought it and it, it, his family still owns it. I mean, essentially, the Jews still own the cave of Machpelah. Um, you have to pay a price to go in and look, by the way, but it's still there. So you can go see the, who's buried there. Abraham, Sarah, uh, Rebecca, Rachel, no, she's buried over in uh, Bethlehem. But uh, Jacob is buried there. And Joseph, I think Joseph's bones are buried there. So there are all kinds of people are buried there in the cave of Machpelah. Um, you can go and I should have put pictures in, but we don't have enough time. But I have pictures of the cave. Um, so, but look at what this Ornan gives. He... he Ornan, I think Ornans is really is telling us he, he's, he'll be happy if he gets away with his skin. Take everything, he says. The oxen, that's your, that's your sacrifice. The, take my sledges, that's your wood. Go ahead. The grain I was, that's the grain offering. Take, take the land, take everything, have it all. And then David says to Ornan, um, no, I am determined to buy it for the full price because I will not take what belongs to you from the, for the Lord and for burnt offerings without paying for it. 
So David weighed out 600 shekels of gold, 15 pounds, to Ornan for the site. Um, Joanne, how much, uh, what, what's a, what's a, how much does a bag of sugar weigh usually? Are they four-pound bags? Of four-pound? I don't want to tend, but a four. So, uh, right, four bags of sugar would be about, you know, it's a little under, a little, little over 15 pounds, but that's, can you imagine that much gold? That's what he paid for this threshing floor of Arauna, the Jebusite. Then David built an altar to the Lord there, and he offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Difference, burnt offering goes all up to God. Fellowship offering, we, we eat. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, Christ already was the sacrifice offered completely to God. What do we do? We eat, take and eat. We participate in the meal. Yeah. In the, in the temple, in the tabernacle, the sacrifice was shared between the, the minister, the priest, and the one bringing the sacrifice, the family. Who partakes of the Lord's Supper here? The minister and the congregation. It's fellowship. That's the horizontal fellowship of the Lord's Supper. We have vertical fellowship with Christ, horizontal fellowship with each other. He called to the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar for burnt offerings. When else did God answer a, 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 an offering with fire from heaven? Elijah. Was that before this or after this? It's about 200 years after this. Yeah, this is David, Elijah's divided kingdom. This is still David, united kingdom. The Lord spoke to the angel, and I love this little phrase here. The angel put his sword back into its sheath. So the angel actually had a place to put the sword. He had a sheath. Um, have you ever heard the expression, maybe you haven't, I don't know if you're that kind of historical fans, but uh, there was a famous sword about which it was said, the sheath is worth ten of the sword. What sword? It, what famous sword it might possibly be? It's Excalibur. Yeah, it is King Arthur's sword. But the but the sentence was the sword. The sheath is or the scabbard is worth ten of the sword. At that time, when David saw the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan and the Jebusite, he sacrificed there, um, and the dwelling of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness. And the altar of burnt offering at that time were at the high place at Gibeon. David had the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem in a tent out back of his house. But where was the tabernacle and the altar? Over at Gibeon. Which is about where uh, the New Elm Quartzite is on the way out to MVL. From where you're sitting. So it's kind of over. You can see the you could see the, the top of the hill from Gibeon, you know, and vice versa. Gibeon was over. Um, remember, remember this map with the West Hill? And, Gibeon's over here. So David was not able to go before it to seek answers from God because he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. The Lord speaks to the angel. The Lord, the angel does not speak as if he's the Lord. So I would, I would categorize this as an example of an angel doing God's bidding. So we don't have any clue here that the angel is, for example, the pre-incarnate Christ, but rather an angel, a destroying angel doing God's bidding with its sword and its sheath and so forth. Yeah. That actually brings us to the end of our chapter. We will meet again next week, but let's, uh, 
Let's close tonight with a benediction. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.